Welcome to Sky Team's People First with Morag Barrett. Welcome to this week's episode of People First. And my guest is my friend and colleague, Andrea Petrone, who is an executive coach and strategic advisor, facilitator and speaker. He helps CEOs and other C-suite leaders in the mid-market to drive growth and performance by leading change, building transformational teams and designing winning strategies. Prior to launching his firm, Andrea held C-suite executive roles for more than 20 years at the international level, and he's worked in six countries and on three continents, primarily in the oil and energy, industrial and consulting sectors. Andrea also hosts the podcast, The World Class Leaders Show, and on that show, he interviews his guests and deconstructs the success of high-performance leaders, shares their stories and teaches the most effective strategies to move from average to greatness. And who wouldn't want a bit of that? <laughs> so, Andrea, welcome to People First. Thank you so much, Morag. Uh, it's a pleasure being here today. Oh, I am so excited for our conversation, but I start every episode with your origin story. So yeah. when you were a wee lad in Italy at elementary school, whatever you call it there, and the teacher asked you, Andrea, what do you want to be when you grow up? What was your answer? So you would be very surprised on this answer because I had two different answers, different stage of my young life. So one, nobody believes that, was I want to be a Pope. Can you imagine the ambition <laughs> at that time? And everyone, exactly that, everyone's smiling and, and laughing about that. But that was my dream when I was six years old. Somebody has to be the Pope, so why not six-year-old Andrea <laughs> yeah. dreaming of it? Okay. Exactly. An easy task, right? An easy yeah. goal to achieve in life. So I don't know why I had that, you know, I had that kind of a dream. And of course, my family started to think about, you know, my vocation and what was, you know, what was I turning to, which is quite interesting. And then, you know, more, you know, when I started to, to grow up a little bit more and try maybe to understand a bit better what I wanted to do, I actually thought to become... Someone is very different than who I am now. So I, I thought to become a lawyer. And I think the reason why I wanted to become a lawyer, I think because was my passion for, for fighting injustice. And, and that was when I, when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, I had already this idea of we need to do something to improve the society. And, and I thought at that time that being a lawyer could have been one of the, the answers. So that was essentially one of my first ideas then as you know as for everyone then you know life takes a, it takes you to a very different path when when uh, when you start really growing up and understanding what's going on in the world but that's that is the, the idea and from then then i became a scientist because i said essentially i studied geologist which is very different than uh, what many people normally do, you know, they're you're taking uh, economics or engineering, mm -hmm. or politics, science. So, you know, the most traditional path, I decided to, to go for geology. I became a volcanologist. So I studied in such an amazing places in my own country because we have a, one of the biggest volcanoes, right, in Europe, yeah. which is Etna in Sicily. So I became a volcanologist. And, and then I became essentially, oh, I started my traditional engineer career, regardless of the title of the study. So I, I work for oil energy companies for most of my times. So I've been working in, since then, I don't know, in probably three different continents, seven different countries all over the world. And I have to say thanks to 
to this industry, the oil energy, because it gave me a lot. Because it's not just gave me the exposure or the international experience that now I use a lot in my in my business, my life. But I think also the opportunity to see things in a very different cultural context and understanding why culture really matters when it comes to interaction and work dynamics with people. And I have to say that has been an incredible advantage for the profession I do now, because mm -hmm. uh, although since that time, then I, I, I move up my ranks, I become an executive leaders in different kinds of organizations. And, and then I, I came to London in 2013 to join a consulting firm. And then early in 2018, I decided to certify as an executive coach. I studied in, in America. And then I started my entrepreneurial career, if you like. But if I look back to my past, I have to say this international experience, this cultural, uh, the, the opportunity to understand different cultures, having worked in different countries has been incredible help now to understand exactly what's going on in the world. And as we both work for sure, in, you know, with international teams, international leaders, having that understanding, I think is very critical. Yeah, I mean, I listened to that and it's the logical engineering mind of the geology and the work that you've done in the corporate environment, coupled yes. with that human element that's going to give you that secret source in how you work with others. So tell yeah, me a little bit more then about how relationships and have influenced you and helped you in your career. Well, I think we all have to say thanks to people. They really help us, you know, along going along this journey. And uh, in my in my personal experience, I have to say, and I, I didn't really have a, a sort of mentor or coach since early days. Mm. So, and uh, and I've been thinking a lot about this. Not having maybe the luxury, right, to have someone helping you going through the major step of your career. And again, having had a very international career with very challenging context and not just roles, but really working West Africa in countries where it's, it's really difficult to operate, to be honest. So not having someone honestly to rely on or to ask suggestion all the time for me has been one of the, the, the major maybe uh, regret I had, but that was not my fault. I, I just probably didn't have the chance or maybe I should have thought more carefully in the past about having someone helping me along the way. But anyway, you know, past is the past. I think I have the chance though, to work with some amazing people at the peer level. And they really helped me because they were more experienced than me. I had a very, very fast track career, probably too fast. So I started to have executive roles very early days in, um, in my career and I wasn't prepared at all. And that's another big lesson now for leaders right now. You know, they are moving up the ranks, they become executive leaders, and maybe they, they feel they're not equipped to lead maybe their team organization because they feel they're not prepared. And I wasn't prepared, even myself. Yeah. So I think the, the fact that I had such an amazing colleagues, it really helped me to grow faster. I didn't have probably the other support I told you, you know, coaching, mentoring, even from my bosses. That's one of the reasons why then I decided actually to be a coach myself because I thought, okay, maybe there are other people that would like to have more support, you know, to be their personal leadership, their personal influence. Nonetheless, in the last years, I, I have the fortune to have actually finally, you know, a coach and mentor, but that was a little bit later in my career. So uh, I can tell you this story. Um, in 2011, 12, I had, you know, one of those period of time when we have the haha moments or kind of a 
you know, pivotal time, right, in our life, a career. I, I thought, well, I, I had such a brilliant career so far, but uh, I had um, the opportunity to join a small organization. That was a mistake. That was my bad choice. And it didn't work as expected. But until that time, my career was skyrocketing. Mm -hmm. So I was happy. I had a very good salary. You know, I had a very good title. And I think I made a mistake of feeling complacent and feeling that whatever I was going to do was going to be successful, no matter mm -hmm. what industry, organization, or role. And that was an incredible mistake I made at that time and led me to, of me, or my own identity. I said, no, it, it can't be that. You know, they can't fire me because I'm good. Mm -hmm. And that was a pivotal moment because I realized that I wasn't so good as expected. And I was, I, was, I think, uh, going through... Um, a journey that wasn't mine. I, I didn't feel that was my journey. I didn't feel that that was what I really wanted to become as a person. So I decided at that time to challenge myself again for the first time after many years of good career. So that was the time for the, that I hired a coach. And, uh, and it's fascinating because I was one of those guys that thought, do I really need a coach? Um, is, it, is it a sign of weakness uh, having a coach? Mm -hmm. And that's how I approached coaching at the time. It was ten years ago, and uh, as we know, um, was actually I was completely wrong. So that experience was amazing, it was an eye opening. So I realized a lot more about myself. I discovered myself. I really realized what I really wanted to be, what I really wanted to become, and really, really what I wanted to do. And that was for me such a big moment because I built a second if you like second life after that, it was a big success still in the corporate world. But that really taught me how important he is working with a coach, with a mentor, with someone and building relation with people that can really help you going through the journey. And I feel, <laughs> you know, many of us probably at some point we felt lonely. We felt that we were alone in, in that journey. And I think uh, it's, it's, yeah, I think it's a mistake. I think we should really find the courage to start to, you know, to, to working with others and also building better relationship because it's never only about you. So about stopping. I, I love all of that because you're speaking my language here. That's the theme of both my books, Cultivate and the new one, You, Me, We. And that yes. whole idea of work is a team sport, but often we get so self-confidence overblown becomes potentially arrogance or misplaced. And uh, I quote myself in the You, Me, We, which is your misunderstood genius. Hey, I'm a successful executive. Becomes somebody else's brilliant jerk at best or just jerk at worst, which may result in the invitation to leave or the firing. So when you Absolutely started right. working with a coach then, what was the epiphany for you that then you were able to flex your style and, and get back on that leadership track? Well, of course, we did a lot of assessments to start to, to try and understand a bit more about myself and what I really wanted to do. But that was not really an epiphany. I think the epiphany really was when I realized that I really stopped learning at that time. I really mm -hmm. stopped doing that. I was a kind of a guy that want, I was very curious. And I think curiosity has been, as I always say to my clients, to, to even in my podcast, curiosity is the number one skill. I believe that curiosity is leading to, to a better life because it's mm -hmm. going to drive you to learn more, to understand more, to listen more, et cetera, et cetera. 
I realized that was the epiphany that I wasn't learning anymore. I stopped learning at that time. And that is the reason why I stopped winning. Now, mm-hmm. it's not just stop winning at work. I was stopped winning for myself. I wasn't winning as a person in my, in my big lifeline. And I think that was a big game changer because after that, one of the action I, I took after working with a coach was going back study. So I got my MBAs. I started reading one book per week and I still have that practice and that habit right now. So I don't stop that. So that was a major, major change because I really, I really became more curious again, more enthusiastic about discovering things. And, uh, and, be, and learning became an addiction at the time, which is something that's honestly, I'm proud of that. Oh, I love that. In fact, at the back of my mind, I'm listening deeply and thinking, ooh, a book a week. Now, that would be a good habit for me to get back to. I used to devour books, but I allow work to encroach on mm, that. So you've, you've sown a seed. Watch this space, Andrea. So as you work with these uh, executives and the leaders in your coaching practice, then what challenges are you helping them to um, resolve versus solving for them? And I'm curious to what extent has the pandemic, because you launched your coaching practice during the pandemic, um, what impact has that had on the leaders that you're working with? Yeah, well, that's that's such an important question for me because he is so. F- first of all, um, as many I started to coach primarily individuals on one to one basis. You know, as probably ninety nine percent of coaches, mm-hmm. that's what they do. You know, you start working with people that you know, and and that's how you grow your practice. However, very soon I started to get involved in uh, very very complex uh, projects. And that was, I think, a couple of, it gave me a couple of indications. One was that my previous executive business experience and very challenging context maybe resonated a lot with my uh, target audience, the client, the CEOs, and the C-suite, because they are all facing such incredible challenging time right now. And that was even before the pandemic, because change is now not just necessary, is on the top of agenda of every leader's how we can yeah. drive change. We need to change business model. We need to change the way of working. That was even before the pandemic. The pandemic has accelerated incredible, you know, the speed of change, but the change was already there. So in other words, what is happening right now in my world, I'm working in many very interesting change initiatives. So helping leaders to lead change. And again, normally is a cultural changes because there is, there is a reason why they need to change the internal behaviors, either because they're acquiring other companies. So I'm, I'm pretty much involved in M&As, for example, but also in terms of uh, developing the organization internationally. So you, you start working with people, they have a very different culture and there is a risk of you know, cultural dilution when you start growing as a business, right? But also changing in terms of way of working, uh, transformational initiatives, organizational structure, processes, and finally, um, whatever change is required after you develop new strategies. So I read an interesting, uh, and I'll come back to the pandemic, how that impacted all this, all this work. But just to give you an interesting data that was reported by one of the large consulting firms, they made a research and they said that 75% of CEOs, they expect to change the business model in just the next three years. Wow. It's massive, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So that means that 
the change is there. Every single day, CEOs and leaders, they are facing change as they move on in the organization. Again, is a product, is a service, is their positioning, the strategy, is how they grow, is how they squeeze out. So it's everything is about change. Now, what happened with pandemic is that it clearly has had, sorry, a strong impact, a very big impact on the way of working. So the online world, that's one element. But also many other things that come to that. Um, but funny enough, one of the largest projects I did, I did actually at the, at the beginning of the, of the pandemic in 2020 during the lockdown. And that is still one of my most challenging projects I, I led as a coach because I work on a, such a big digital transformation change initiative. But what happened, uh, more, which is quite interesting, so I've been able, I'm quite proud of that, I, I, have, to, I have to say, but I've been able to lead and facilitate a team of 25 people working online, only online during a major digital transformation project. Wow. And that is massive because, you know, that was, by the way, that was a project that was delayed and, is, you know, the client spent four or five years without getting results pre-pandemic. So imagine what expectation they had of working with me on projects like that just online during a pandemic. I think it was kind of a last resort and they tried and I think it worked, but because I think I've been able to leverage the online world and making sure that people can be can build trust in a very challenging context where actually trust was low, motivation yeah. was super low because no one wants to be associated with that kind of project they're failing. So trust was was down, motivation was essentially at the, at the, at the bottom of that. Um, people were disconnected, were disengaged. So imagine the work that we did in order to rebuild the, the level of engagement, momentum, but also then uh, identify new strategic priorities to make this project successful. And it went incredibly well. Yeah. And, and that, that is an incredible learning because it proves that you can work online, you can be effective on teams working online, and you can run large change initiatives even if you don't meet one-to-one in person. So there's the logical side of change, and then you talk there about the trust, the connection, and how we collaborate in a two-dimensional world. And I know it is possible. My team's been virtual for 15 years. However, many of my clients are struggling with a similar scenario of people feeling disconnected. Yes. And, and you know, we, we say yes on the camera, we hang up and we leave the meeting. Oh, look, magic, it made me vanish. Um, we leave the meeting thinking we've got agreement and understanding of what happens next, and we haven't. So what are some, for the people listening to this episode, Andrea, what are some of the tactics then that you introduce that nurtured and regained the trust of those 25 leaders? What, what did you do on that side? Yeah, which is probably the, the biggest challenge that you really face when, when you work with teams. So for, for building trust, there are different ways to do it. But I think uh, what I experienced the first end was um, going back to the basic. So mm-hmm. and there are two basic here. So one is making sure people, they really know each other. And it sounds banal. It sounds something like, oh, you know, we know each other. But no, they don't. Because most organizations, they stay at very superficial level when mm-hmm. it comes to building relationships. You know, I know you for, for, for the role that you have. I probably know a little bit about you, you as, a, as a person, but that stops there. So I really have been to go deep and try to understand better each other. So at a personal level, but also in terms of what there were the weaknesses and what 
how they, for example, you know, in very, very practical way, how they prefer communicating with each other, how mm-hmm. they're making decisions, you know, what are the things that are, they are, they are happening in their own world. So you need to have this very open, transparent conversation about the personal challenges and personal situations. So that's his number one. And that's to me super important. And I've been doing this for all the teams I, I led as well, especially after m So people that have been integrating, working together just remotely in the last couple of years. So they meet maybe with me for the first time face-to-face. Now that is possible, of course. So that's number one basic. The other basic is always, always, always going back to the why, to the purpose. Mm-hmm. Why we work together, why our work matters to people. And when you're able to, to bring them back to that question, everything changed. You see the energy in the room, either is online, offline book, online room change completely because people feel reconnected with the why they are really working together. Mm-hmm. And when you're able to do that, then it's much, much easier to start building trust and other things along the way, like, you know, maybe setting new values, new behaviors, finding new ways of working together. That's, you know, that's easier. It gets easier when the trust is in place. There is a psychological safety too as well. So giving space people, as I said, in the first basics, the first basics require people to open up, right? So yeah. you have to, to give them the space and the safety to speak. So you have to work on a safety, on a psychological safety, and then you have to work on the purpose. If you're able to combine these two elements, wow, teams start working together as magic. So I know on your website, you have your um, world-class leaders assessment, and you use that as part of your coaching practice. And within it, it provides insights around the four Oh, five dimensions, sorry, of a world-class leadership. So clarity, performance, leadership, influence, and relationships, topic close to my heart. But you mentioned earlier about curiosity and learning. So I'm curious, for you, of those five dimensions, clarity, performance, leadership, influence, relationship, which is the one that you are paying particular care and attention to here in 2022? Well, they're all important. That's the reason why I assess them, of course. But uh, if I need, you know, if you really, if you want to try to rank them, I think I think the clarity comes always first because if you don't know where you're going, where you really want to to become, is is impossible to do any follow up work. Mm-hmm. So clarity is always part of the the first step, and without that, it's really difficult going forward. But if I need to choose the others, one of the others, I will go for influence. Because I believe that we are not building enough influential leaders out there, and uh, I was speaking with a with a with a with a client earlier this morning, and is uh, a president. He was giving me a review and a feedback about one of these guys, and he said, "I think uh, that that is his words." He said, "You know, I, I think this person is amazing. However," he's not able, or he hasn't been able yet to build his influence in order to build this awareness and be more visible in front of the top leadership team, the CEOs in the first year. So having, being able to be influential in the organization in a, in a world where complexity is, is high, where there is all these, there are all these change initiatives, all uncertainty, and then people work here remotely. If you're not visible and if the people don't see what you think, they don't know what you think, and you can, and if you're not able to stand out, you will be unfortunately forgotten. 
Mm-hmm. So, and that's how we, and that's the best way out to not just survive, but really thrive in the organization. Because if you really want to build an executive career, you must be visible. So we do with 95% of my client, we do a lot of work on the influence level. So how to, first of all, what are the principles of influence, but then how to understand the stakeholders. And so we do a lot of work on stakeholder mapping, understanding what they think they, they, they want, what they expect. And finally, how to, which is probably the most important element of influence, how to be prepared. Too many high-stake conversations in organization that are happening when, and when people, unfortunately, are not prepared enough for that conversation. Mm-hmm. So they go in with uh, positivity, motivation, but, don't, but they don't have a plan. They have maybe an idea to propose, to sell, but as soon as they get the first objections, they go back to where they were. Mm-hmm. You know, and they lo- and they lose motivation, they lose energy, and they lose credibility too. So we do a lot of work, especially with role play, for example, of trying to uh, live in that conversation in a way that become very effective when they do it happen in the real time. And and that's I think for me is one of the most important elements nowadays. What's the uh, one piece of leadership advice? that you wish you'd learn earlier in your career? Well, I think it has to be around uh, using more empathy and uh, using less power. Uh, And I think in my first life, before I got to to the moment when I understand I was doing something wrong, I think I started to have that. I wasn't arrogant, never been arrogant, but trying, you know, putting the power on the top of everything, you know, because... I'm there, so probably you know my my opinion, my idea matters more than yours. That was a, such a big mistake I did at that time. So I think that is very important. So be more empathic and use less the power, the position of power to get people uh, follow your ideas and get mobilized. I think that is the number one thing. And probably the other thing which goes with that is the power of teams. Now that I've been working a lot with teams. I realize that teams are not a collateral damage, as I say, but teams are the best way, probably the most important way for leaders to to be successful. If you don't have a great team, very, very hardly you will become successful as a leader. And sometimes people see lead teams like, yeah, we have a team, I have a team, but you know, I have my own agenda. That's, That's wrong. Yeah, it's the solo sport again. There's an African proverb that goes, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Absolutely. And I think that sums it all up. And as we said earlier on, work is a team sport. Well, Andrea, I appreciate you sharing some of your career journey today. And how can those who are listening and watching this episode learn more about you and your coaching practice? Well, thank you, Morag. So, well, two, two, two ways. One is LinkedIn because I'm very active there. So I post every day so you can connect with me and we can have a conversation there. Um, and also, of course, on my website. So it's www.andreapetrone.com. And on there, they can, they can take the free assessment, the one that you mentioned. So that is people that can understand where they are in the leadership development journey. But also I... I, I put a lot of stuff there. So there's my podcast as well that you mentioned, the World Class Leader Show. So I recommend following and listening to the episode because we have amazing speaker and more as we agreed, I'd be happy to have you there too. So we have best-selling authors, we have uh, scientists, we have corporate leaders. So it's it's a very, very interesting set of people. So the podcast is there. We record every week. So there are all 
episodes, but also we write a blog article every week about the episode. So there is a lot of stuff there. If people want to learn, they want to get a little bit, you know, a, a bit of motivation, but also they want to improve their skills, understand where they are. And also there are some case studies of my work with clients if they're interested. Well, Andrea, thank you for sharing some of your insights and learnings, the highs and lows of your leadership journey. I appreciate you and I'll make sure all of that information is in the show notes around this episode. Thank you. Thank you so much, Morag. It's been fun. Thank you so much for joining Morag today. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you learned something worth sharing, share it. Cultivate your relationships today when you don't need anything before you need something. Be sure to follow Sky Team and Morag on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you have any ideas about topics we should tackle, interviews we should do, or if you yourself would like to be on the show, drop us a line at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again for joining us today. And remember, business is personal and relationships matter. We are your allies.